Chapter Eighteen of the Randolphs by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen: A Confidential Ride. It was not until Mr. Harper had spent an entire day in the society of his young sister-in-law, a day filled with all the delicate attentions and courtesies which a man of wealth and refinement can find to bestow upon a young lady who is taking a long journey in his care, that he ventured upon anything like a confidential talk with her. The train had just left Albany, where they had been delayed for several hours, and where Grace had been established at the Delavan, in one of the elegant rooms, and waited on with that obsequiousness which wealth buys, and had dined at the most elegant of hotel tables, and had, in short, begun to have a realizing sense of the fact that her brother was a person of consequence in that portion of the world which was estimated by money, and that she had a sort of reflected consequence about her which was not an unpleasant discovery to a young lady taking her first journey. A sense of deep gratitude began to rise in her heart, and be added to the feeling of respect and love with which she had always regarded her brother. He disposed the satchels and wraps in that business-like way which the travelled man so well understands, arranged sash and blind and ventilator with careful regard to his young sister's comfort, arrested a passing boy and bought a dozen Havana oranges, and laid them beside her with the direction to amuse herself with those, stopped the book-boy and bought the last new book that had created a stir in the world, and that he had one day heard her express a desire to read. Then he sat himself down beside her, and began without ceremony or preparation a very confidential talk. This young man, Gracie, to whom you introduced me the other evening, and who was at the cars this morning, is he a friend of yours? Grace's cheeks glowed, but she answered steadily, Yes, sir. A very special friend? This question was harder to answer than the last, but it was answered in the same way. He had evidently no intention of sparing her. "'Do you mind telling me just how much that means with young ladies of your age?' he asked, not in sarcasm, but with an inflection calculated to remind her that she was young. "'Does it mean that you have engaged yourself to him?' It was very disagreeable. If there had been anything to resent, Grace would have resented it. She felt sure that Alfred Parks would have considered Mr. Harper impertinent but yet he surely had a right in view of their relationship, and the valuable way in which he was acting upon that relationship, to a certain degree of confidence. So she answered, her voice a little lower than before, and with cheeks still glowing, wondering meanwhile whether he would express annoyance or anything disagreeable about Alfred, and resolving in her loyal little heart that she wouldn't submit to anything of that kind. No, not if he were twenty times her brother-in-law, and were taking her to the royal palace to be presented to the queen. But there was no change of voice, no expression either of astonishment or annoyance, manifested in the next sentence, and it was certainly simple enough, hardly a question at all, rather an intimation that as a matter of course such and such was the case. With your father's approval, of course? There is an art in asking questions, there is a chance to display talent, or to show oneself a bungler. Something either in the words themselves, or in Mr. Harper's way of saying them, 
or in the keen, clear, quiet eyes that were bent fully on her while they were spoken, made Grace plainly remember that this man who was questioning her had a right to claim her father as his, and therefore had a right to question the daughter who was under his care. Also it overwhelmed her with a sudden sense of the impropriety of her talking of being engaged to be married to a young man of whom her father had not even heard. Such a strange thing to do! How could she ever explain it to this clear-eyed man who was looking so steadily at her and waiting for an answer? It had never seemed strange to her before. She had said to herself that she was doing just what the rest of the household were doing, shielding her father from excitement or anxiety of any sort. But, some way, that refuge seemed to fail her, or to shrink into insignificance, before those steady, inquiring eyes. She was painfully embarrassed, the blood flowed in rich dark waves up to her very temples, and she looked at her brother with a beseeching air that plainly said, "'Ask me some other question, or ask me this in some other way.' And he quietly waited." no she said at last low-voiced and tremulous and he said not a word then she went on hurriedly it was because father is so feeble and so easily made nervous and wakeful we shield him from everything that would be likely to excite or trouble him we all do so and therefore i have thought it best to say nothing to him and i have told alfred so mr harper did not turn his eyes away he did not look less grave and troubled. He did not speak at all for as much as a minute. To Grace it seemed half an hour. Then he said, Would you marry the gentleman without your father's knowledge? And Grace started and shivered as she made rapid answer, Oh, no, no, of course not. Why, Mr. Harper, you know I wouldn't. Why do you say such things to me? I have done nothing wrong. At least I meant right. I thought— and there she stopped. What was she doing or undoing, and what would Alfred think of all this? Still the manner of the very grave man before her did not change a particle, and his tone was, if anything, more solemn than before. Then you are waiting for father to die before this matter can be known? What a dreadful thing to say! The great tears gathered in Gracie's eyes and rolled down her cheeks. She dropped her veil quickly to shut in the tears, and to shut out that dreadful gaze. "'You are cruel,' she said at last, struggling to regain her composure and speaking earnestly. "'You know I had no such thought. I am waiting and hoping that he will get enough better for me to trouble him with my affairs at all, and I did not mean to do anything that was wrong.' He had certainly probed very deeply it seemed to be time to drop in some oil, if he had any. He spoke very quietly, not at all as one who had anything for which to ask forgiveness. I can only know you by what you do, and not by what you think you remember, and I am sure your good sense sees the propriety of my understanding this matter thoroughly. I cannot tell you that I think you have done rightly, because there are some risks that must be run even when a person is very feeble." We did not think for a moment of carrying out this plan of a winter in New York without your father's full consent and approval, and surely it is of very much less importance than the other matter. But at the same time I can see that it has been an error of judgment and not of intention. What remains to be decided is, 
in view of what has already been done, what is to be done in the future. I need not remind you that Father gave me directions and cautions with regard to you, and that he felt that he was entrusting a very precious treasure to my care. I assure you that I feel the responsibility, so you will expect me to speak very plainly to you, as I could hardly be justified in doing otherwise. I have not up to this time credited the statement that you were positively, seriously engaged to this young man, without proviso or understanding as to the wishes of your father. He spoke this sentence very slowly, with a pause at the end sufficiently long for Grace to take it in, and you will do her justice to understand that it was the first time she had realized what a strange and improper thing she had allowed herself to do. Then he continued, I have hoped and believed that those who were anxious for you were over-anxious because mistaken. Now, as I say, though astonished, I can understand that it was an error of judgment, and one that would not have occurred doubtless had there been a mother to advise. It is right that I should tell you that the responsibility is too great for me to assume. Another pause, during which it seemed to Grace that her heart stopped beating. What was he going to do? Was she to be sent back to her home tomorrow morning, perhaps this very evening, as soon as the train stopped? And what was she to say? Must she tell her father, and must she go back to McAllister's store and tell them, and ask for her old situation again? And what would Alfred say to all this? A dim sense that he would feel very much disgraced and bitterly displeased with her contributed a little to her pain. The low, clear voice went on, still talking to that becoming brown veil which shielded the glowing, tear-stained cheeks. Would you be willing to write to father and lay this entire matter before him with utter frankness as to detail and desire, or would it be less painful for you to have me write for you and get his directions for the future? His voice had assumed a gentle, respectful sympathy of tone, which somewhat quieted the poor child beside him, and after a moment of silence she said, Wouldn't you be afraid of the excitement resulting from such a letter? Don't you think father is too weak for me to run such a risk? Or don't you think there is any risk about it? Yes, he said firmly, there is a risk, undoubtedly. Father is very feeble, and I do not know what degree of strain he will be able to endure. Of course, this would be an excitement to him. If you were older, he would be expecting it, and be in a sense prepared. If he knew, and had known the young man as a valued friend of the family, it would not be so exciting, but all the circumstances were against it, and I do not wonder that you are bewildered. But, as I understand you, the time is past for such considerations to be weighed. The necessity for plain speaking is upon us, and cannot be avoided. I do not see why, she said, speaking hurriedly now, you are so cruel to me. I cannot risk my father's life, and I will not. Why can I not wait until spring, until he is better, as we so hope he will be? What is the need of troubling and exhausting him just now? For a few minutes he did not speak at all. Then he said, and Grace never forgot the tone in which the sentence was spoken, Grace, you heard your father's last prayer. You heard his last words of direction to me. Could I receive you into my family, knowing that you were engaged to be married to a young man, 
knowing that you were in constant and special correspondence with a young man of whose very existence your father is ignorant, and be faithful to my trust? Granting that he should live to know all about it, could he hold me free from blame? Then Grace cried with all her might, and it was well that the twilight and the rushing train shielded her from observation or hearing. As for Mr. Harper, he waited quietly, his face sad indeed, but not really troubled. "'What can I do?' murmured the poor little crushed mouse at his side at last. It was the question he had been waiting for. "'Of course there is an honourable way to arrange it all. If you feel unequal to assuming the responsibility of a frank talk with your father, you can write to this young man the whole story of your thoughts and views, and explain to him the nature of the difficulty.' and you can say to him that you realize that you ought not to have given your word unconditionally, and that you ought not to be in correspondence with him of that nature, and that you must be allowed to hold the promise back until such time as it can be honorably given. You will understand better what should be written than I can possibly tell you. But, pleaded Grace, catching her breath, and feeling that she was going over a precipice that was to whirl her forever away from Alfred Parks, whom she was leaving standing dismally on the shore. But I have given my promise. It was unconditional. And however silly it may have been, it is done, and I do not see how I have a right to undo it. He was very prompt with his answer. Of course you consider this gentleman an honorable man, and a man of average intelligence then don't you suppose he knows that a girl of your age, who has a good father, has no moral right to give herself utterly away without that father's knowledge? Then after a pause, during which he felt the muffled-up bundle beside him shrink and wince, he added with that quiet firmness which was characteristic of him, At least I see no other way out of this matter. I am not dictating, of course, as to what you will do. I am simply answering your question but it is my duty to be very frank with you. Much as Ermina and I have looked forward to this winter together, and to all the pleasant details of this plan, and sharp as the disappointment would be to us both, I cannot assume the responsibility of a correspondence of this sort with any living man without your father's knowledge and consent. I have no right to do it, and therefore you must be frank with him, or else I must be, or this other plan may come in to relieve us both. It is for you to decide. Then an utter silence fell between them, broken only by one question from Grace. Do you mean that I ought not to write to him at all? No, not that of necessity, though I should prefer that. But I think father trusts your sister and you sufficiently to have no objection to a friendly correspondence which is known in detail to her but of course you see that such a correspondence would be very different from the one that you have proposed. Poor Grace! She saw it very plainly. What long, long letters she was to have written him, and for no eye but his! Then the silence again, until at last, more than an hour since she had turned that last answer over again bitterly in her mind, seeing all that it involved, she said, speaking in that clear, decisive tone that she could assume, "'Mr. Harper, you need not be afraid. I have been wrong. I can see it plainly now, and so will Alfred when he thinks of it. I will agree to that last. 
I will not take any risk in regard to my father's health, but your responsibility shall not be greater than I can help. But I want you to understand this. It is simply because of the condition of father's health, and it will not change the actual state of feeling in Adam. Maria does not like Mr. Parks, and she has prejudiced you against him. All that will not be of the least consequence. I belong to him in heart, and always shall. But while I have a father to ask, I shall not belong to him in any other way without father's consent. And while I am at your house, I will do nothing of which you disapprove, but the actual feeling will never change. I am not responsible to anyone for that. Of course I have nothing to do with that, Mr. Harper answered quietly, and I am entirely satisfied and trust you fully. But for the first time since the embarrassing conversation had commenced, he could not restrain a quiet smile. End of chapter 18